Thank you to everyone who is joining us um, on Zoom and everyone else who will join us on Facebook. This is yet another this is yet another session of our AFS Live happens every Thursday. But this, this is actually our first GMO first in Africa series. So today we are going to be talking about BT Cowpea. And our moderator is Nkechi Isaac. Nkechi is a 2016 Cornell Alliance for Science Fellow, and she's also a journalist based in Nigeria. So um, Nkechi, I would like to hand over to you. But just before you start this session, I would like to say a special welcome and thank you to Dr. Rose, to you Nkechi and um, Professor Mohammed, because I am aware that today is um, a public holiday in Nigeria and for making the time when you should be um, spending some time with your families, we are very grateful. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you. Um, it's good to be here. Welcome to Alliance for Science Live. And I have here with me, Dr. Rose Gidado, and I'll introduce uh, Professor Mohammed Ishiako. Professor Mohammed is the professor at the Department of Plant Science at the Amadubello University, Zaria, here in Nigeria. He holds a bachelor's degree on botany, plant biotechnology, master's in cytogenetics and plant breeding, and a doctorate in philosophy and agriculture with special interest on genetics. Sure. Professor Ishaku is a plant breeder and the principal investigator of the Port Bora resistant cowpea project here in Nigeria. He is currently the executive director of the Institute of Agricultural Research, Amadubello University here in Nigeria. Welcome, Prof. Thank you very much, Nkwechi. Good afternoon, okay, um, all. Yeah, it's great to have you here. And then I also have here Dr. Rose Guidado. Dr. Rose Guidado is the country coordinator of the Open Forum. Okay, so Dr. Rose Guidado is the country coordinator of the Open Forum on Agricultural Biotechnology Nigeria chapter. And she's also the deputy director at the National Biotechnology Development Agency. This is that are under the Federal Ministry of Science and Technology. Dr. is a BSc in Food Science and Technology, and she did her master's on and PhD in microbiology industrial. She's acti actively involved in increasing public understanding of biotechnology and biosafety. Rose and Professor Ishiako, they were very instrumental to the passage of the National Nigeria Biosafety Bill, which allows for the adoption and application of modern agricultural biotechnology in Nigeria. Welcome, both of you. Good to have you here. Thank you. Thank you, Nketi. So uh, I'm going to start with Professor Ishiako. Prof, can you tell us how the Port Barra uh, was affecting cowpea farmers before the advent of the GM cowpea in Nigeria? Uh, pot boring, the pot borer, popularly called by entomologists as Maruka vitrata, has been causing havoc to cowpea 
production in Nigeria, West Africa, and the world at large. And um, the yield loss ascribable to this insect has reached up to 80, between 80 and 90% yield reduction, depending on the intensity of infestation in the field. Um, this insect has always been controlled where possible only through numerous applications of very hazardous insecticides, which are often unaffordable to resource poor farmers and also very detrimental to the safety of our environment. So generally, this insect can only be controlled through the application of uh, chemical insecticides. That has been the pr practice until recently when we are able to release this new variety of cowpea. Okay, um, Dr. Rose, uh, I'll come over to you. So, uh, as Professor Ishaku just said, farmers invest heavy money on insecticides and pesticides on the BT cow on planting BT in Nigeria. So basically, they expect a lot of returns, but due to the potbora infestations, they lose up to eighty percent of their produce to the potbora pest. Now, can you just get, tell me how important is the cowpea in the Nigeria food chain, food chain? How important is it in Nigeria in terms of uh, giving protein and diet? Uh, beans, as popularly you know, known and called in Nigeria, that's the cowpea. It's commonly called beans. It's actually very important in Nigeria. It's eaten in every household. I can't remember any household that will say that they don't consume this. It's a source of protein, that's plant protein. And the <clears throat> protein content is, um, you know, it's high. And those proteins contain essential amino acids, which are very, very vital to the body, to infants, to lactating mothers, to pregnant mothers, you know, to children, you know, even like the adults. It's also very, very important to the diabetic patients and then to those who have arthritis, who are placed on, you know, um, low carbohydrate um, food is also very rich in fiber. So I can't, you know, keep on, you know, mentioning how essential beans or cowpea is and how important it is to the household uh, in Nigeria. It's uh, eating in form of, um, can I say, kose, in many ways you can boil you can make uh, moi moi, a bit pudding, I mean, pudding, uh, uh, you know, uh, from it. I don't know how to, how to actually describe it because the way we prepare it in so many forms, you can fry it as, um, you know, accra and then eat it in the morning as breakfast and children, you know, enjoy eating it a lot. It's very important. It's, um, it reduces micronutrient deficiency, micronutrient deficiency it's actually hidden hunger. That's what we call it in Nigeria. And so beans or cowpea 
contributes a lot, you know, to uh, raising the immune system, you know, especially at this time of the um, disease outbreak, this pandemic, the COVID-19, and other disease outbreaks, you know, the lower your immune system is, actually the higher of you contacting, you know, the risk, I mean, the higher risk you, 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 you have in contacting these um, COVID-19 virus or other disease outbreaks and so on and so forth. And so eating beans actually, uh, it's, it's very important. It um, boosts your immune system, which can help you to fight other infections and what is also good for the pregnant women. So I can go on and on. So every household has it um, and then it's cheaper than animal protein because uh, most families, especially those in the rural areas, cannot afford the animal protein, either in form of egg or meat or chicken or what, because they're expensive. So this um, cowpea is actually much uh, affordable to them and accessible. They have it, I mean, they cultivate it, is is that they are, you know, even within your compound, you know, your family compound, you can just grow it. It doesn't take uh, much time for you to grow and harvest, especially the BT cowpea. The maturation period is, is far, far, you know, um, um, lower than the, the local cowpea. 75 days is there. So it matures very early. It's much earlier than the local uh, cowpea. And so it's affordable, you know, it's cheap and then easier to cultivate. And so the, the farmer gets empowered and then he has it. I mean, it's, I can go on and on. It's very, very important to the, um, the families um, and then households and so on and so forth. Okay, Dr. Rose, I'll still hang on with you a bit. Um, can you give us a background of uh, BT farming in Nigeria and in which geopolitical zones do we plant BT, do we plant cowpea beans here in Nigeria? Okay, mostly in the northern parts of Nigeria, the northwest and the northeast, northwest, northeast, north central. Um, we also plant it in the south, but the varieties, you know, for the south, southern part of Nigeria varies. I think it's the brown beans that's mostly planted in the southern region and little of the white beans. But for now, that um, is the white beans that have been developed to resist uh, Maruka. I think. Um, the planting area um, in the northwest and not uh, central, not um, east, they plant more of it. Even though in the eastern parts, they also plant the whites, but not as, as you know, much as the, the brown beans. And I'm sure the brown beans is also on the way, you know, to be uh, also modified, of course, for Maruka resistance and so on and so forth. And so this does it. Okay, awesome. Um, Prof, I will come back to you, Professor Ishiako. Uh, you were the principal investigator of the BT cowpea here in Nigeria. Now, um, can you just give us a quick update of um, the current status of the BT cowpea? Well, let, let me start by saying that cowpea can actually grow all over Nigeria, depending on uh, the time. All that cowpea requires is at least three weeks of dry period 
that allows the pods to mature and dry. Uh, in addition to the, the time when it should enjoy relative moisture and not a flooded planting place, uh, well-drained soil, uh, then cowpea can grow anywhere in the country. But it is more prone to diseases in the south when they are planted in the middle of the very heavy rain. Otherwise, uh, all over Nigeria, you can grow cowpea. Um, and just like uh, Dr. Girado has said, uh, cowpea is, is a favorite for of all, virtually all Nigerians. So the status of of the BT cowpea is that uh, maybe I should start from the level after we had uh, garnered the release of the variety, which is called SAMP20T. That is the name given to the released variety. After we had conducted all the series of processes that is required, ranging from the laboratory stage when we generated the seedlings and then went into confined evaluation and tested the resistance, confirmed what we had in the laboratory, went to different places in the country, uh, evaluated the performance, and then after confirming the performance, we took the data to the Nigerian agency that is responsible for giving clearance to the commercialization of GM, GM crops, which is the National Biosecurity Management Agency. So that license was granted to us, a license for approval to grow it anywhere in the country. Hello. Having been certified, we went further uh, to secure its registration as a commercial variety by the National Variety Relief Committee in December 2019. And after, after that, we are now at the stage of, uh, as I was saying, I said from the level when it was approved as, as a registered variety, it is known as SAMP20T. Uh, the SAMP20T is now being multiplied in different locations together with our outgrowing farmers in 27 different places. So the status is such that we are accumulating close to uh, 12 tons of foundation seed, which will be uh, sold to different seed companies. Uh, we have selected companies that will be engaged in trading of, of, the, of, the, of the seed to grow certified seeds, which will be sold to farmers in the coming rainy season. That is the status. Okay. Um, Dr. Rose, do you have anything to add to that? Being in the government sector, I mean, the processes that uh, the beauty cowpea had to go through before its um, approval. Yeah, just like um, the principal investigator um, had already uh, mentioned, about the process it went through. It went through a lot of scrutiny uh, for 10 years. The project started in 2009, uh, I think sometime around March or May, uh, process is here to confirm. Um, they obtained um, 
accreditation of their facilities. And then they went into, uh, the accreditation was actually given by the Bisafety, the National Bisafety Committee, NBC then, under the Federal Ministry of the Environment. Now we have the National Bisafety Management Agency. So they get the accreditation and then containment trial began. And that was about integration, into, um, integration of the gene into our farmers preferred variety. Then confirming trial of the transgene took place, you know, I think for almost like eight, nine years. And then um, they also, you know, kept on renewing their permits, you know, permits for CFT. The CFT went on for so many years, I think almost eight years and so. And in the CFT, of course, you have the genetic confinement, material uh, confinement, and then uh, gene efficacy was tested and uh, the gene was found to be efficacious. And after that, I think multi-locational trials, trials on the farmers' field, that's farmers, um, farmer managed trials, where the farmers grew the cowpea, the, um, the modified cowpea alongside with their own uh, local varieties and they confirmed and they were happy that actually in terms of yield and insect resistance, the copy was better because there were fewer sprays from eight sprays down to two sprays. And they saw that the yield was higher. I think there was a 20% yield increase. And so food and food safety, environmental risk assessment were all carried out. And so before it finally came down to deregulation, the total data, the data that was actually the accrued from all the regulatory processes were put together and submitted to NBME and then application was filed in for deregulation and there we landed. It was uh, finally deregulated. The data were, were okay, okayed by uh, the National Biosafety Management Agency, which is the competent authority on biosafety in Nigeria and then it got deregulated and then we they now applied um, for national, I mean, took it to the National Variety Release Committee in Ibadan. They also sat on it, I think, after doing national performance trial. The national performance trials, I think, was carried out in more than 10 states and on farmers' uh, field just to enhance adoption by farmers. Uh, you know, farmers are practical people. You, they have to, uh, you know, confirm that what you're giving them is better than what they have, you know, in all ramifications. And that was actually confirmed and this day. And then the Varietal Release Committee also gave their own approval for the, I mean, for commercial release. And here we are now, I think this year, um, another, you know, um, demonstration, you know, trials are also going on nationally, still on farmer's field. So farmers already have access to this. And I visited, I went to Ademawa State, uh, my state, where the performance, I mean, the demonstration plots are on the farmer's field and I interacted with the farmers and I saw it and I saw how happy, how excited they are with this um, you know, variety, which is actually very, very promising. Many pods are being formed and then the earliness, you know, in the pod formation, I mean, plots and all this, they're so excited. And then they also said, they didn't see insects, the maruka, I mean, was not um, there on the field and all those things. So the number of sprays, of course, from down from eight down to two, they say they're not spraying this one. This one does not require much spray. The leaves are very nice. I mean, it's with Vigo, you need to see it on the field. You'll be happy with yourself. 
and it's a project that really I'm proud of, you know, it's, it's evidence-based science. I mean, I was at my best when I visited and they're asking for the seats. So uh, they cannot wait to have the seats next year commercially and everyone is ready to plant. I, I have a lot of requests from people. Everyone that is experiencing it is asking that this is what you know they should have. The farmers are saying it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Rose, for that concise uh, contribution. So there's a question um, about the role of cowpea and the sustainability of the agricultural system um, in terms of crop rotation and does cowpea fix nitrogen? And there's a, a question about how many cowpea varieties are grown in Nigeria and if a single uh, variety becomes very popular, uh, how will that impact diversity of the varieties in, in farmers' fields and, and what can be done to maintain such diversity? Um, is there uh, any response to those uh, questions? Okay, um, okay, how, how many, how many copy varieties are growing in Nigeria? Well, I think Professor Ishaku is in a better position. I can just say, um, maybe from my own you know, experience, I know that the copy varieties are many, they are many, we have the brown copy, the two main varieties are actually the brown copy and the white um, uh, copy. The white one with the black, um, you know, um, eyes or whatever. So um, then, introducing a single BT coffee variety may reduce variety diversity if it has great um, adoption. Anyway, um, this is just for a start. It's just for a start. This is not um, um, the end. Is not yet there. So more research, you know, um, is ongoing. Um, um, presently. There's another variety that will come on with um, uh, stack traits. It's going to have the cry 2 AB gene to strengthen it, to strengthen what is there. Because the present one is a single gene. And that's just a start to see how it will go. But now that we've seen that it's actually um, quite successful. So, and people are asking for more. So of course, the best to do is, is to double the gene so that uh, resistance um, to, to, the, um, to the Maruka vitrata will actually get um, stronger. And so that's, that's it. Uh, so many more will come on board. More varieties, of course, will be modified um, so that uh, we don't get um, limited to just one single variety or so. So plants are you know, ongoing to do more modification and more improvement in the seeds and so on and so forth. So that the adoption of course will grow wider and wider. So the plan to maintain um, variety diversity, I think I've talked about it. I think what I just said, of course, because we have more plans, more projects in this area, I know more projects are coming on board so that we can have diversity in varieties, and then we don't actually want um, to put the you know the local varieties out of um, even though these ones have become local varieties because they are actually our own local varieties. The farmers preferred varieties that were modified, 
So it's not actually a local, I mean, a foreign, um, you know, or exotic happy varieties, actually the local ones that are being improved upon. Genetic improvement is actually the mandate of the uh, IAR, the Institute for Agricultural um, Research. And so, um, because if you have to do everything uh, because other people are complaining, they're talking about um, sovereignty, food sovereignty and what, this is not meant to face out you know, the parent varieties. The parent lines will still be maintained in case you don't want to actually use the modified or to plant the modified uh, varieties. You can still maintain, you can still go for your, have, still have access to your, to your local varieties. What about the cost of the seed? Uh, the cost of the seed will actually be determined by the seed companies, the local seed companies are actually the ones who will determine the cost of the seed, but it's not, it's going to be affordable. It's not going to be anything, I mean, that will be above the reach of the poor resource farmer. The poor resource farmer who is there, who does not have much money to buy seeds. So it's everything is done locally, you know. Uh, is this an issue? What about the cost of the seed and availability? The seed will be available, of course. This year, what the farmers are doing are actually producing the seeds. The seeds are not um, the ones that are being controlled, going to be controlled by multinational companies or what seed companies or what. Everything is, um, is domesticated. Everything is within, is in our country by our local scientists. And then the business will also be taken by our local seed companies. And so the price of the seed will be uh, controlled by our local people and will not be above uh, means. You know. What about other countries? I have, I have a quick question for you, Dr. Rose. Dr. Rose, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Okay, now, um, who pushed for the development of the BT cowpea? Is it the farmers or the government? Okay, the development of the BT copy is actually the farmers. The motivation came from the farmers through interaction between the farmers and the breeders. The breeders are always in the farm with the farmers and they see how the farmers are suffering you know, on the field. Sometimes when they cultivate, they plant, they germinate and what, you know, as soon as leaves are being formed, flowers are being, the maruca comes, the maruca vitracha, you know, insect lever, you know, comes and then eats of the leaves, eats of the, the, the flowers, and then they eat of the pods. And once flower is gone, you are at nothing, and that's it. And the losses incur, just like Professor Ishaku mentioned much earlier, that the losses could be 80 to 90%. And that is like almost everything in your farm is gone. And that is the only, you know, um, means of livelihood for the farmer. That's the only thing he has. He has no any other place to run to or any other business. That is their business, that is their food, that's their everything. And once they lose everything, that's it. You know, and, what they, and the spray you have to do is almost eight sprays, eight number of sprays in one hectare. That is one hectare. What if you have, you are into business farming and you have 400 hectares? So that's quite much. So a peasant farmer cannot really afford to be buying all those things. And once they spray and it rains immediately, everything is down to zero level. 
because the rain washes off those chemical sprays and that's it. You're back to your Maruka again, or you have to go buy, you buy. So that means the number of sprays, you know, exceeds eight, you know, I'm sure. That's uh, eight times, because that eight times is only one hectare. And if you're having two, three hectares, you know, and once it rains, it goes off. And sometimes the chemicals are fake, they're not efficacious. And most times the insects grow resistance to them. And so that is what motivated the breeders to say, how do we alleviate the suffering of these farmers? What do we do? What is the best way forward? Because we need to eat food, you know, beans is, um, is, 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 is a very essential commodity in Nigeria. So we have to do something. And so the best was to actually go for, for this, you know, for genetic modification technology so that the farmers will have a sustainable um, process, you know, of actually, of, I mean, a sustainable process can be in place for them to have bountiful harvest and so on and so forth. Incorporating that gene, you know, we're putting in the plant, in the crop, you know, um, this protection, protection against the Maruka, building the seed system, improving the seed is everything because the agriculture is all about harvestable yield. If you don't have enough harvestable yield, then there's nothing for you. I mean, it's, 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 it's a useless thing. So the best is to find means, you know, other ways, sustainable ways. We are talking about sustainability because our population is in the increase and all. And we have many other challenges aside from insect infestation, there are others, the global warming and what. So if we don't rise up, you know, to these challenges, I mean, uh, it will be overwhelmed at some point and there'll be no food and many people will die. So we have a question here from Peter Goebbels, which says, um, please, Dr. Rose, what about other characteristics like taste, marketability, price, storage capacity against weevils, drought resistance? Uh, what's your comment on this, Dr. Rose? Is there any difference? Well, there's actually no difference. If there's a difference, you have to go back to the drawing board. You have to ensure that, um, you know, the, the regulatory processes, the, the food feed safety, you know, safety, it's one of those things that you have to do. You have to confirm. You have to do feeding um, trials. You have to do uh, food evaluation, sensual evaluation. You know, this sensory evaluation, you have to test it. You have to cook, make it um, in form of um, just boil it, taste it, you know, or make moi moi out of it, make food out of it and what, and then taste and notice the difference. Because um, every trial, you know, is every assessment is done alongside with the parent of your modified variety. You have to carry them the same time. You have to compare the color, the words, you know, the constituents, even the chemical constituents must be the same. You know, <clears throat> the proximate analysis is done so that you will know the protein content, the fat content, you know, the ash and all. You have to carry out all those and then you now go down to test, you know, uh, and, and all other characteristics that you know are very, very important. There mustn't be any significant difference. You just must 
ensure that all these things are, are there. And it's actually one of the parameters. Um, the data taken to NBME must contain all these details before it goes out to the farmer or before it goes out to the consumer. You must ensure that you are within standards. Okay, Dr. Rose. Um, I know that. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the activists' pushback against the BT cowpea? I know that when the BT cowpea, when we introduced biotechnology here in Nigeria, um, there was a lot of misinformation going on, you know. And then I know at one point that the activists took the pro-GM um, stakeholders to court because of um, some issues. Now, can you just throw more light about how you tackled the challenge of misinformation and how you tackled the challenge of pushback by the anti-GM um, activists? Yeah, the activists uh, took us to talks, but actually coffee was not um, one of those crops they took us to court for. It was a maize, BT maize and BT cotton when approval was given by the National Biosafety Management Agency for, um, I think, commercialization. Um, so it's like, ah, okay, uh, let's teach them a lesson. So they just took, went to court and all those things. And I think we handled the matter so well. And at the end of the day, a lot of advocacy, you know, awareness campaign and words, even matching for science, you know, marching on the street, the scientists came out once in a year. The global march of, I mean, march for science, we joined. I mean, all forms of advocacy, we, um, it was like um, an all inclusive strategy that we had to adopt, you know, to make sure that uh, enough awareness went wrong. Because um, some people actually go against it because they don't have enough information, evidence-based information. Um, some are ignorant. And so when you educate them, of course, you know, they understand, they say, oh, it's because of lack of information. You guys, you need to do a lot. You need to go around, we went to the ministries, we're going to radio stations, uh, the print media. I mean, we got a lot of support actually from the media group because when those um, activists came on board very strongly taking us to court, you know, and uh, uh, actually um, peddling around rumor, rumor mongering, and so coming on TV, radio, <clears throat> massive campaign. They did really, they did a lot of campaign against the technology, and so that was actually that actually motiv motivated the media group to come for us. It gave us visibility, you know. It actually gave us visibility. I mean, because of the attack, okay, they will come. Why are these people doing this? Uh, um, why are they against the technology? And so on and so forth. I think that really brought us to limelight more. What they did actually worked for us positively because at the end of the day, the court, I mean, the case was thrown out on technical grounds from the courts. We had upper hand and many people that we went, I mean, creating awareness and what, I mean, everyone was like, okay, we actually didn't know. We didn't have this information before. We didn't know that it is this, we didn't know even. We went all across board, um, the medical group, medical, the Nigeria Medical Association, 
some professional bodies that the scientists, because even the scientific group, some of them, uh, because science is multifaceted, so um, the person in another field will not know what's happening in another person's field. And so you need to all, you know, um, reach out to everyone in the society, not just um, the, the other side of the, but everyone in the society, because everyone is an ultimate consumer, whether knowingly or unknowingly. So everybody has the right to information, you know, right to education. Even the traditional rulers, we didn't leave them behind, you know. Um, also the nutritionists, the uh, epidemiologists, because we had, we had engagement with the Epidemiological Society of Nigeria and so on and so forth. I mean, quite a lot of um, extensive and all-inclusive awareness strategy that we took and it actually helped. And we're not relenting, we're still continuing. Um, there's nothing like going back or what, it's, it's a continuous process because those kind of, these kind of things do not end and it's not unique to this technology alone. Any other technology that has come to stay had actually experienced this um, opposition. Uh, we can remember the polio vaccine issue, even up till now, polio has been eradicated in Nigeria, but we still have people talking against, campaigning against this uh, technology, the polio vaccine, which of course is also a genetically modified organism. And so it's, um, it's a continuous thing. There's no stopping. Well, that's, that's great to hear, Dr. Rose. Now, um, another question here is, how are you maintaining stewardship activities for the DT Kaupi? How are you maintaining stewardship activities for BTKLP? Okay, the stewardship um, plan, I think AATF has developed a stewardship plan to be able to manage it so well. Uh, even at the commercialization level, even though it's been deregulated, we still need to monitor it. It's a baby uh, that has been conceived, so you need to nurture the baby until, in fact, this one, there's even no end because any issue can come up, you know, or any misuse of this technology can come up at any time. So ATF, I think, is putting in a very strong um, stewardship plan, especially the insect resistant management, how farmers would um, manage, because even um, with the product at hand, the product that you know is efficacious against this um, insects, you know, um, you still have to do farm management, good farm management practices, because that is actually what will make you to realize that potential yield. Without good farm management practices, it will not work. So um, the farmers are being taught, even the ones that are doing the demonstration trials, they were being trained, they were being before they were given the seed, on how they can even set up the plots, how they plant, the distance, the words, you know, in between, um, you know, one hole to the other and what. And so, and how the insect can be managed, you know, just through number of sprays. But then there is something uh, which is very, you mix um, the non-GM and the GM seeds. There's what we call 
refugia, you either plant the GM seed and then you plant round, um, you plant the non-GM round the field, whichever one you do. Uh, some other people like to mix non-GM, maybe 10%, 10% non-GM or 20% non-GM in the GM seed so that the pressure of the insects will not be much on the GM so as to delay, so that um, this issue of um, growing, mutating, the genes mutating and growing resistant, I mean, you know, would not be there. Okay, uh, Rose, I had a question about gender and uh, cowpea. I, I was wondering about the demonstration plots, these trial farmers, are, are both men and women farmers involved? And how do men and women farmers react differently to the qualities of uh, this variety and, and what are some of the different things that men and women farmers are concerned about in cowpea farming in Nigeria? Okay, I think um, it's both sexes, men and women are actually involved in cowpea farming, but I think more of women because it's actually like um, more of women are involved. I know that around my state, more women are involved in cowpea and even groundnuts. Men actually go for maize, rice, and all those things. But um, now with this modified um, variety, of course, even men, but I, I know that most of the demonstration trials have been carried on the fields of the men, you know, more men. <laughs> I haven't yet come across a female that has been given this. But I know that uh, when the commercialization proper starts, I'm sure many women are coming um, for this seat and so on and so forth. You know, it's um, because the seats would be affordable, would be accessible. So it's going to favor more women because women are not, they don't have that um, empowerment, you know. Yeah, I mean, they don't have that empowerment. They don't have much resources. So, and this is actually, is, is a seat that will not be expensive. It will be affordable and then accessible. And then you, the management of copy, the BT copy is actually um, cost effective. There's no much spraying, it's only two sprays. And then the earliness in maturation. So it doesn't take much resources. So this will favor women more, I'm, I'm sure. So at the end of the day, you will have, you realize that I'm sure more women will go into this because in 70 days, 70, 75 days, you are harvesting. So it doesn't need much resources. And since women do not need much resources and then on, even on a small piece of land, you can plant it and harvest bountifully. So this is like, um, can I say, uh, there's going to be really gender bias in this because more women will have will really go into this without stress. You're putting in less, but you're getting more. And at the end of the day, the women will get empowerment, they will get empowered, and their source of livelihood will actually improve because most times um, they, you know, so for more women are into farming, agricultural activities, you know to fend for their families, especially those um, rural, in the rural areas and what, where the men don't even have much resources to take care of their families. But this actually makes it easier. 
makes, makes it easier for business uh, farming because coffee is consumed a lot in Nigeria, largely consumed. Nigeria is the largest producer and the largest consumer. So even within Nigeria alone, you can do business. Okay, so I have another question which um, says, is BT harmful to humans? Is there any health, human health trials conducted by the Biosafety Committee? Is there any negative health effects that is associated with uh, BT carbon? No. To this uh, moment, for the regulatory processes that were carried out, if there was any hint on that, I don't think this thing would have been deregulated. That's it. There's no nothing. There's nothing. It's very safe. Um, very safe for human consumption. Very safe to be used as animal feed, and then safe to the environment because all those things were actually confirmed you know, by the National Biosafety Management Agency. And that is why it was actually uh, deregulated and then commercialized. Then one other thing I want to add is that the Port Bora coffee will actually benefit the Nigerian uh, farmer because it can generate annual benefits equivalent to 8.6 million uh, dollars for producers and then 5.6 million dollars for consumers. You can see what the Nigerian farmer or uh, coffee producer you know stands to gain in this. It's going to be a big business and also there is investment rate of return of one I mean of return of 105 percent. You know the rates of return on investment will be 105%. So there's no delay. If we have any delay, we're going to go down by 54%. Any delay in adopting this and going ahead with it, there will be loss of 54%. Uh, so it's actually going to provide better choices to the Nigerian farmers and help them produce more reliable harvest and better grain quality and seed quality and so on and so forth so that we can export so that we can nigeria can be um, a global trade you know player in this you know um coffee business okay we are gradually coming to the end of uh this uh, webinar but i have Another question for you, which I would have loved, Professor. Can you hear me? In Kechi, you are frozen. You have to launch back. Let me answer. Check. Can you hear me now, Dr. Rose? Yes. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay, so um, I said, seeing that this virus and other factors affect the cowpea farming in Africa, uh, and Nigeria. Um, it's why not a virus. It's an insect. The, the, the pest and other factors affect farming in Africa and Nigeria. But Nigeria is the only African country to develop and commercialize its homegrown BT cowpea. Why was Nigeria the pioneer here? 
Okay. I actually didn't get to the beginning of your question. Okay, I, I'll take it Let's, again. Said, be, be, um, yeah, you're going over. The Port Bora pest affects cowpea farming in Africa and Nigeria also. Now, that and other factors have contributed to the challenge of BT cowpea of cowpea farming in Nigeria. But why is Nigeria the only country in Africa to develop and commercialize its homegrown BT cowpea? Why is Nigeria the pioneer here? Yeah, nah, because it's a, it's a priority to us. Is a, I mean, we are pioneers. Is a priority to us. The project is not only um, in Nigeria. The project is also in Burkina Faso and Ghana. But we were actually the first to come on board. I think um, it's because of uh, the, the, what will I say? Is it the partnership in Nigeria, working together as a team, both the Biosafety and the Modern Biotechnology Group, I mean, stakeholders are putting heads together, synergy, working in synergy, um, and uh, so on and so forth. All, many other factors, the seriousness, the determination in seeing that, you know, we put this, you know, behind us, we overcome whatever force that, will, I mean, break us down, you know, and, and prevent us from getting this first crop. Nigeria being the giant of Africa, we see ourselves as giant, even though we are a truly the giant of Africa in terms of population, resources, and all. And so we didn't want any other nation to beat us. And we succeeded. We put ourselves together, all the institutions, uh, Institute for Agricultural Research, ATL, that's actually uh, the facilitator of this uh, project and the funder and everything, USAID, uh, Program for Biosafety Systems, and so on and so forth. Um, the agencies within Nigeria, NABDA, you know, all of us, State Council, we all came together as one and worked it out ourselves. Um, the National Biosafety Management Agency, the regulatory, I mean, regulatory agency, since we had our, you know, our act in place, I think that really made us be, you know, to go faster. And we made it. And um, it's our determination to, and our doggedness, you know, to see that we succeed, to see that we set the pace for other African countries, even though South Africa had already done that, but then we didn't want to be beaten um, again. Oh, thank you, Dr. Rose, for being such a great panelist. Uh, um, um, uh, Patricia, uh, do we have any other question? Hello, Patricia. Okay, she looks, uh, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Yes, there, there is a question in the, in the Q&A section. Please check it out and see um and see what it's saying is it from peter gubbins uh, so the, the question is um can you discuss the role of the australian scientific and industrial research organization uh, csiro in the development of bt cowpea um, and are there any updates about BT cowpea development in Burkina Faso and Ghana? Oh my God, sorry, I forgot to mention the CSIR. 
where this um, technology started before um, they came to Nigeria, before it was brought to Nigeria and what the work really started there. And we actually, especially TJ Higgins, um, I want to really appreciate him, congratulate him for standing strong. He made it really happen. He was always here coming and what, and today I'm sure he's actually, um, he is a proud mentor. He's, we see him as a mentor and everything. They played a very big role, very vital role. And they kept on monitoring until we got it right. And we actually got it right. And then the project in Burkina, I think, I don't know so, I, I don't know so much, is there. We started at the same time. Uh, if not, they started before us. I don't know which one came first, but I know this. the pace is slow. Um, I think what happened um, about the BT cotton really affected the, the copy project over there. And that's why if everything is going at a slow pace, I don't have the latest um, information on where they are really. But I know this, I mean, that's what happened to BT cotton really affected it. But I'm sure they're picking up. But even the BT cotton, I'm sure they'll get it back because the farmers in Burkina have started making noise. They're no longer making money as they used to. It was just politics, but not the technology. The technology did not give at all. And so uh, in Ghana, I think Ghana is working towards deregulation of it. They've gotten almost to the final um, destiny and we're standing strong behind them, supporting them. They, they too, I'm sure very soon, it will be commercialized in Ghana. Ghana, they are very fast. They are moving very fast. And what else have I learned? No, 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 no. I'll, I'll just get your final thoughts on the commercialization of uh, the BT cowpea in Nigeria. Um, in rounding up, how will you say the successful commercial planting of BT cowpea by Nigeria, how will it shape the adoption by other African countries? Um, it, it, it really shaped, um, it, it's an impetus to other African countries because why am I saying this? Um, whatever happens to Nigeria, you know, once Nigeria sneezes, other African countries, they catch cold. So, so at least now, with this, that um, this positive thing that Nigeria has started and other African, and once they hear we've started making money from this doing business, I'm sure this will serve as a big impetus to them, as a motivating force to them. And so they will pick up um, very, very soon. They will also do their own. It's actually encouraging, it's good because it's a local base, <laughs> it's a local, um, you know, resource is a local resource is actually good to harness our indigenous crops that we have in our countries to harness them it's good to adopt this technology and you know indigenize it you know adopt domesticate make it your own in your own way that's what we are encouraged to do so it's good because there's no way we can do business in agriculture without the use of appropriate technology and this is an appropriate technology that will take us to the promised land, provide food for us, and so on and so forth. So as Nigerian farmers um, are provided 
with better seed choices, you know, and then uh, which will enable them to produce more reliable harvest. And then it's going to be a sustainable system and then better grain quality and seed quality as well. I'm sure this will trickle down to other African countries. Ghana is already, you know, getting up because when they heard we've commercialized and our farmers are happy, by the time they saw the pictures, you know, when I shared my pictures from my state, I mean, they too, you know, that's really um, has helped them, energize them. And they're working towards, um, you know, doing their own commercial uh, commercialization and plan. So uh, thank you so much once again, Dr. Rose, for being such an awesome panelist. Okay, so I'm going to hand it over to Patricia right now. Patricia, back to you. Yes, Nkechi, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Kechi. You have been a very capable moderator this evening, afternoon. Thank you very much. Dr. Rose, thank you for your time and all the information that you have shared with us. It's unfortunate we lost Professor Ishiyaku. Maybe we shall have another opportunity to hear from him as um, to present the developer aspect of it. And Chris Knight, thank you for your technical support. But um, just to remind, to remind us that um, the BTKOP we've been talking about is called SAMP20T, and um, it was developed by quite a number of people. Nigeria's, sorry, institutions, if I may say. Nigeria's Institute for Agricultural Research, the National Biotechnology Development Agency, NABDA, Agricultural Research Council of Nigeria, ARCN, Australia's National Science Agency, um, CISRO, the Danforth Plant Center, um, Bayer Crop Science provided the CRY AB or the BT gene, and they did it on a royalty-free humanitarian basis to ensure that um, smallholder farmers can access this seed. And um, ATF has been the glue that has been holding all this together. They've been coordinating all this partnership and funding came from USAID. So we don't want to miss out anyone. We want to say thank you very much. And Nigeria, thank you for leading the way. We are just waiting for you to tell us that now farmers have started growing this, um, this cowpea and we shall be eager consumers. Thank you, Kechi. Thank you, Dr. Rose. And have a good evening to everyone. Thank you. Thank you, Patricia. Thank you, Dr. Rose. Good evening, all. Thank you, Patricia. And thank you, Kechi, for thank you very much. taking up this. And thank you, Christopher Knight. Uh, we appreciate you so well for your good conduct, all of you. Uh, this is great. We thank you. Thank you.